it's a relation on life. Okay, let, let's start from the, the previous um, Mishnah, I'm sorry, but it's uh, about 12 lines up on the previous page, 141b. A person could take his son on Shabbos, even though he has a stone in his hand. The stone is muksa on Shabbos, but you're not holding the stone, you're holding your son. And the son is not old enough to be concerned for muksa. Or to hold a, a basket, while there is a stone within that basket. So same issue where you have a, a basket you're allowed to carry, the stone is mukta. And you're allowed to handle truma that is tame, excuse me, that is ritually impure, together with the truma that is tahar, that is ritually pure. And also together with chulen. Right? So even though the stone is muktzah, even though the muktzah, the the um, the truma that is temeya, that is literally impure, is muktzah, you're allowed to handle it if you're handling it together with the muktzah, with the non-muktzah object. You're also allowed to lift up meduma. Meduma means a mix of truma together with chulin if it's mixed up one in one hundred. Then technically. The uh, the entire mixture is going to be is going to be uh, forbidden to be eaten except for a cayenne, right? But the the um, if, if it's less than one to a hundred, then the entire thing is considered truma, and everything can only be eaten by a, a cayenne. If it's in at one, if it's one, let's say one hundred and one parts, one part is chulin, one hundred sorry, one hundred part is chulin, one part is truma. Then the truma is considered um, bottle. It's um, it's nullified in the larger mixture. But you have to take that measure and give it to the Kohen, that amount. Yehuda says you're allowed to take that truma on Shabbos and does not, does not hold that taking that amount on Shabbos and thereby making the rest of the food permitted to be eaten is considered to be fixing something on Shabbos, which would be impermissible. Okay. You're allowed to take out a child that is alive and it has a kiss around its neck. It has a, a, a wallet around its neck. You're liable because of kiss. Let's say you take out a child who is dead, the kiss and you have a um, and you have a uh, a kiss, you have a, a a wallet that's hanging around its neck, then you're potter, then you are exempt. You have an, a living child and you have a you have a uh, the, the the wallet around its neck. You're liable for a kiss. Gemara asks, why are you not liable for taking out the the living child? Why are you only liable for carrying? A, the, the, the wallet, why aren't you also liable for carrying out the child? Rava holds like Rav opinion is that a, lot, a living person carries its own weight and therefore it's not considered to be carrying a Shabbos. Why don't we say that the, the wallet is considered to be subordinate to the child? Did we not learn in a Mishnah if you take out a living creature on a bed, you're exempt. Even on the bed. Shaimita tfele like is the bed is subordinate to the person. Mita legabe chai mevatile. The Gemara answer is no. When you have a bed and you're carrying out a living person on top of the bed, then the bed is considered subordinate to the living person. Kiss legabe tinik lemevatile. But the the wallet is not going to be subordinate to the child. Right? I guess because of the the value, uh, the relative values of each of them. Um, you have a dead child that you're carrying out and it has a wallet hanging around its neck. Putter, you're exempt. So you're exempt for the wallet. Gemara asks, why are you liable for carrying out the tinnik? There's no Allah of Chai Nesei Satsmai because he's dead. And when he's dead, he doesn't help carry himself <laughs> due to his bearing some of the weight. Anytime you do a malacha that is not done for the explicit reason that the malacha is forbidden to be done, 
then you are exempt for doing this. So when you're carrying out the, the dead child, you're not carrying out the dead child because you specifically want the dead child somewhere else in that other location. You're carrying out the dead child because you don't want the dead child where it is right now. So that does not get into the category of doing a malacha for its intended purpose. That's called doing a malacha for its, un, for its not purpose that's forbidden to do in the Torah. You carry, a person can carry a son and he has a stone in his hand. What's the case here? The case over here is that the, the child has gaguin. Gaguin is a hard, way to, hard word to translate, but it means like um, a craving for, I guess, or, uh, or like a, a very deep love. And the, the kid has a very deep love for his father. And if you don't pick up the kid and take him out with you, the Gemara says there's a possibility that he'll get so sick because um, because he's going to be missing his father so strongly. So therefore, you're allowed to pick him up. And even though he has his, the, the stone in his hand, you're allowed to pick him up and don't worry about the stone. Yachid, the Gemara asks, my area, Evan, if you look the Nami, then why does it have to be a stone specifically that he's holding in his hand and therefore it's permitted to pick up him up even though he has a stone in his hand? Even if he has a, a coin in his hand, it should be permitted to pick him up if there's this concern of Gaguin. Rava says not like that. Rava says only a stone is permitted to be picked up when the stone when you're picking up a kid with a stone in his hand, but not a dinar, not a coin. The difference is like this: if the son drops the stone, you know what? The father's not going to pick up the stone. Dinar However, <laughs> if somebody has a dollar that um, falls on the floor, has a coin that falls on the floor, he might come to pick it up. Learned in rice like Rava. If someone takes out uh, Caleb and his, uh, his vessels, folded up on top of each other, and uh, laying on his uh, shoulder, or he has his uh, sandals or his, or his ring in his hand, he's liable. But if he is wearing them, then he's exempt. This sandalab If someone carries out a person and he's wearing clothing, or if he has sandals on his feet, the and he has um, rings on his hands, Pater, he's exempt. But if you take them out, if the if instead of actually wearing those items, but if he was holding them in his hands, then indeed he would be chayev. So there's a differentiation between if the person is is holding them in his hands, they're not as subordinate to, to who he is. But if he's wearing them, then they're subordinate to who he is, and they're not considered to be carrying. It says to carry out a basket, even though it has a stone in it. Why are you allowed to do this? The basket should become a basis, a base for something that is forbidden. A stone is not permitted to be handled on Shabbos. It's mukta. If the mukta that we call something that he had no intention of ever using on Shabbos is mukta, not permitted to be handled on Shabbos. It literally is mukta. It is set aside for use on Shabbos. So how are you allowed to carry out this basket on Shabbos if it has a forbidden object in it to be moved? How are you allowed to carry it on Shabbos? here with a basket that is full of produce. Since the basket is full of produce, the fact that it also has a stone in it, that's not going to make it a a base for something that is forbidden because the stone is only going to make it a, the, the stone is not more important than the fruits that are in the basket therefore this basket becomes something which is a base for something permitted and a base for something which is forbidden and that type of base is permitted to be handled so one second if you really want to take out the, the fruits then why don't you throw the fruits out from inside of initially leaven then throw out the stone and then pick up the fruits and put them back in the vessel why are you allowed to carry it? Because, oh, well, anyways, I need to carry the, the fruits. Well, throw everything out of the vessel, then pick up the fruits and put them back in the vessel as they were initially. 
the Rabbi Eloi. Like Rabbi Eloi, I'm a rock. The teres, I'm it enough. And the reason why you didn't want to throw out the fruits is because what you had is delicate uh, strawberries. You didn't have oranges that you could just peel them. So you don't want to throw them out. If you threw them out, they're going to get ruined. So you don't want to throw them out. And therefore, you are not, you are allowed to actually carry them together with the stone inside it. But I'm in Paris, I'm it enough. So too, over here, we're talking about cases where there are fruits that are going to get dirty if you throw them on the ground. Why didn't you shake the basket until the, the stone falls out? We're talking about over here with a basket that has a hole in it. It's a very interesting case. What happens is like this. The stone actually is not really muktzah because the stone is serving a purpose on Shabbos. What's the purpose? The stone is actually plugging the gap. Since it's plugging the gap, that's where you're allowed to carry the basket with the stone in it. When are you allowed to do this? Only when the Yukar Truma is on the bottom and the Tmeya Truma and the impure Truma is on top. Let's say the impure is on the top and the, the, the um, sorry, the pure is on the top and the impure is on the bottom. Then you should, since the two pures anyways on the top, just take the pure out of it and carry it. If the pure is on the bottom, you don't have that option. So then you're allowed to carry the whole basket together with everything inside it. But if the pure is on the top, just take the pure out. But even if the one's on the bottom is tar, why can't you just shake it out and then take it back in? Talking about the same case where the pears are going to go bad if you shake it out. And that's why you're not obligated to shake it out. And that's why the only time we'll say that you should take out the top one is because the top one you can take out without having to shake it onto the floor. Basically, you're allowed to move the truma, the impure truma, together with the tahar truma, and also with the with the regular food items. Whether the impure is on top, whether the pure is on top, impure is on bottom. Whether the impure is on top and the pure is on the bottom. This is a clear dispute. It says no matter what, whether the pure is on top, whether the pure is on bottom, you're allowed to carry them both out together. Chizda would say if the pure is on top, you need to take the pure off. When in the Mishnah is talking about where you actually needed the um, we actually needed the truma in the next place where you're going. So then you're allowed to take the truma out and carry it to the other place. But over here, you didn't really need the truma. You just needed the space where the truma was. So then you're going to have to take the truma out no matter what. No matter which one is on top, you're going to have to take the truma out. By Gemara asks, why did Ravuna have to be daichik the Mishnah, I and mean, mapchik the Mishnah, to make the Mishnah into a not great read? Look, you must listen to Sarah about a case where you needed it for its space. So since you need it for its space, the only time you're allowed to carry out the basket is if the Tamei Truma is on top. Amar Rav, Rav says, the Mishnah makes more sense to be read like him. The funny you say, because the second part of the Mishnah says, you have money that is sitting on top of a pillow. You're allowed to shake the pillow and then it falls off. That's only true when you need the pillow for its own sake. But if you needed uh, the pillow for the, you don't need the pillow, but you need the space for the pillow, is then you're allowed to move it, and the money is still on top of the pillow. We need the safe of And the fact that the end of the mission is talking about where you needed it for its actual, you needed the actual thing that you're moving. So then the they since the second part of the mission is referring to where you need it for itself, so too the beginning part is also referring to where you actually needed the the um, the the truma for its own sake in the other place. Yudaim Rafmal in the Kulu. Rabbi Huda talks about this case. You're allowed to lift up the 
the, the mixture of, of chulin, take one hundredth of the chulin and give it to a kayan. Umar asks, so am I? Why are you allowed to do this? How come a sakin? You're permitting to eat the rest of the food. This is a, a serious issue called the sakin mana. There is a deraisa issue to take something and make it able to be eaten, to take something and make it able to be used for the very first time. This is the issue with, um, with opening up bottles and Shabbos. You know, the, that's the whole question is that you're being a sakin mana. You're causing to be able to use a bottle cap for the very first time. We're not going to get into exactly why it's mutter, what cases are mutter, but that was the theoretical issue. Um, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda holds like Rabbi Eliezer. So what does Rabbi Eliezer say? The Amar Truma Beina Machta. So Rabbi Huda says that the Truma um, could sit by itself, basically, right? So what does this mean? Is that Rashi? Rabbi Eliezer, the Amar Truma Hail the Nitna Lahalis Achas Beirta Beina Mi Ta Machta Ilu. Ooh, interesting. I love this idea. He says like this. He says that the truma, in truth, we look at this 101 portions of food. We look at the 101 portions, 100 of it is chulin, and one portion is truma. And we look at it as separate, even before you ever determined which is the one portion that's truma and going to the kayin, even before that, we already look at it as separate. So we look at this really 100 of these portions are completely permitted to be eaten. It happens to be that before you take out the truma, everything is forbidden to be eaten. But really, we look at it as completely separate ideas. Since it's completely separate ideas, we don't call this masak and mana. We don't call this rectifying an object and making it permissible to be eaten for the first time. Where is this opinion stated? We went to the Mishnah. You have a, a saw worth of truma that falls into less than 100 worth of chulin. And through doing so, it became a, a, you know, a, a, a demai, a mixture. And some of this mixed up stuff falls into another pile of um, of a uh, of a uh, peris of fruits. Rebbeleizer says it's going to mix it up like uh, another, as if it was kashur truma, even though it came from what was already only a mixture of truma. Chamam say that one mixture does not create a second mixture, only the its first calculation. In other words. We look at the truma that in your first mixture, it was, let's say, one, one, rate, one portion truma, 10 portions of chulin, of deconsecrated food. And now it fell into another 10 portions of deconsecrated food. So we look at it as if you've only had one more, one more um, portion of truma in that, in that mixture. We don't look at it as if the entire first mixture becomes considered to be truma. We look at it as only, only one-tenth of it is actually truma. Amar the shamalei l'chomra. Well, you, you can say that when it comes to uh, being machmer, being stringent, but where do you see that you can say this when it comes to being lenient? Right? How do you know that he would even agree that if it came to a leniency, he would say the same thing? Rather, Behuda holds like the opinion of Rav Shimon. You have one sa'a of truma fell into 100 portions worth of chulin. And you not have a chance to pick it up out of that group of, of truma until another saw of truma fell in. It becomes forbidden to be eaten. The whole thing becomes forbidden. Rav Shimon says it's permitted. Why does Rav Shimon say it's permitted? Because if it would be, we said earlier that what's the ratio at which the truma becomes, at which the, at which the chulin is all considered to be permitted to be eaten? When it's 100 to 1. Well, over here, it's not 100 to 1. It's 100 to 2. So why is it permitted according to Rav Shimon? Well, so presumably what he holds is that once the first 
once the first portion of truma fell in, and since the entire thing is really permissible to be eaten because it's 100 to one, it really gets uh, nullified. So then we look at this as if we don't we don't look at it as being a, a, a one whole mixture of 100 to uh, 101 pieces of mixed up food. We look at it as 100 and one separate. So since it's 100 and one separate, therefore you'd be permitted to um, even if when you mixed in another one, it wouldn't cause issues for us. Mara asks, Sumimai, and how do you know that this is the halacha? Dilma maybe over there, the Machlekes of Shimon was like this. the initial opinion held, even though it fell one portion of Truma after another portion of Truma, it's as if they both fell at the same time. And we look at it as if the two portions of Truma fell into 100 portions of Chulin. So if so, then it's a two to 100. So it's it's a one to 50 ratio and it would be tummy. Not tummy, it would be truma. Each one is falling into one is falling into one to 50 ratio. Rabbi Shimon says, the first one is, is nullified in the group of 100 that fell into it. And then once it's nullified, it's, it's done. It's completely nullified. And then, then the second one is, is now, the second saw truma is falling into 101 of chulin. So you want to know, well, it should make everything forbidden to eat? No, why should it make everything forbidden to be eaten? The second one is falling into already completely chulin of 101 chulin. He always like Rishim Ben-Elazer's opinion. The Tanya we learned in a Rishim Ben-Elazer says, If you put your eye on one side, then you're allowed to eat from the other side. Right? As long as you decided that you're going to be taking a saw of truma from one portion of the pile, then you're allowed to eat from the other portion of the pile. You don't actually have to remove it. You just have to decide that that's going to be your truma. When we say, does he indeed hold, is it you to hold like the opinion of, of uh, Rav Shimon Elazar that as long as you like put your eye on one side of it and said, this is the side that I'm going to take my truma from, that's already enough to permit you to eat from the rest of it. Is that true? Uh, he argues with them. It's not true. The Tanya will learn to advise him. He says, Malin es He says, you're allowed to lift up one, um, one mixture, one part, a mixture of truma chulin, if it's 101 truma to one chulin. I'm sorry, one, I was it, 100 and, um, 100 of chulin and one of truma, then, then we don't, we don't care about the truma that fell in. Shemalazer says you're allowed to actually, as long as you decided to take out one portion, you're allowed to eat from the rest of it. So basically what the Machlekes is like this. Machlekes says, Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that you actually have to, um, Yehuda says that you actually have to lift up the one out of 101 portions, you have to lift it up before you can eat from the rest of it. And Rabbi Shema Menelazer says you don't have to lift it up at all. You can eat from it even when it's still sitting there as long as you looked at one portion of it and said, this is going to be the one that I take up. You don't have to physically lift it up. You just have to decide that that's the portion you're going to pick up. Rabbi Yehuda is actually more, is better than Rabbi Shema So this is clearly a case of where Truma that's indistinguishable from Hulan falls into the Hulan, so you don't know what's what. It's not like an orange falls into some lettuce. So there's something like grain or wheat or something like that. Mm-hmm. So are you saying then, if there is such a mixture and the first, the the 100, one 100th portion of Truma falls in and then gets fizzled, then you can eat from this. So as long as you keep in mind that you're going to remove 
something from this mixture which will then become truma, even though it's not the actual truma that fell in? Yeah, so we're never going to know which one is the actual truma. Like you said, it's a mixed up case, right? So you're not going to know which one's the actual truma. As long as you've either determined which piece of, of truma you're going to end up picking up, or according to the other opinion, you might actually have to take out the truma before you could actually eat from any of it. But yes, you're, the, the entire thing does not become like a suffix truma. You're not sure which one's truma and everything becomes forbidden. No, everything becomes permitted. The question is, do you need to actually lift up the 100th and give it to the Kayin, or do you have to just decide which 100th you're going to give to the Kayin? Is that sufficient? So in, in, a weird, in a weird way, the truma becomes biffled, but then everything becomes truma because you can take some random portion of it to be the truma, is what you're saying, even if it's not the actual truma that fell in. Is that what you're saying? Well, everything has the ability to be made into truma, but that's always true. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's not like everything is truma. It's just everything is forbidden until you've determined which part is truma, right? It's not that everything is actually truma, right? Everything is what we call tevel. Tevel is something that you did not yet take any any um, tithes out of. If you haven't yet taken any tithes out of it, then everything is forbidden to be eaten. But it's not that it's actually truma. It's rather that it's just untied. Okay. Right. So then you take the truma out, and then it becomes permitted to use exactly exactly okay if you have a stone on top of a barrel of wine you sort of tilt the barrel onto its side so the stone falls off let's say you have one barrel it's it's tight amongst other barrels and if you sort of tilt the stone what's gonna happen is the stone is gonna smash into your glass flask and it's gonna break it you don't want to do that magbia you're allowed to lift up the barrel and lift it up until it's in a place where it's not going to cause damage by falling, and then tilt it to its side, and, and then it will fall. You have money that's sitting on a pillow. You shake the pillow, and it falls off. You have um, dirt on the pillow. You're allowed to clean it with a smart with a shmata. If the car is made out of leather and the leather is a water uh, repellent, then you're allowed to pour water on it until the, 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 the dirt disappears, right? So basically, this is the issue we're going to deal with is a malabi, right? So if you get, if something gets dirty on Shabbos, it's very, you know, it's very stringent in terms of what you're allowed to do to clean something. So unless it's just like a little bit of dirt that will just get, if you just flick at it, it'll go away. Other than that, it's going to be problematic in terms of cleaning that on Shabbos. When do we say that you're allowed to tilt the barrel on its side and have the stone fall off of it? That's only true when the bat, when you left the stone there by mistake. You forgot it there. But if you left it there on purpose, it turns into a case of where the barrel had become a busis. And if it's a busis, which means it's a base for something that is forbidden to be handled on Shabbos, then you're not allowed to move it at all. Who is the Tana, the author of the Mishnah, who says that anytime you have something that is forbidden and something that is permitted, you're allowed to deal with the permitted thing, you're not allowed to deal with the forbidden thing, right? You're not allowed to take the actual stone and knock it off with your elbow or anything like that. Rather, you should take the whole barrel and pick up the barrel and through that, knock the stone off of it. Who says that? We learned in a Mishnah. If someone is doing bayer of kidneys, uh, kidneys are, uh, you know, kidneys are the things that you're not allowed to eat on um, a Pesach, right? You know, beans and, and, and legumes and things of that nature. 
So Vishama Emrim Bayra Eichal Vaichal. Vishama says you should take out the food and eat the food right away. Basil Emrim Bayra Kedarke. Basil says you could take out whichever one is faster to get the job done. On Yumtif, right? On Shabbos, of course, you can take out the good from the bad. But on Yumtif, even if it's the bad from the good, whichever one's gonna get the job done faster permitted to do. Whether you're putting it into your lap, whether you're putting it into the tamchay, into the plate. Tanya, right? So Basil has two differentiations between him and Vishama. Vishama says you have to take out the good from the bad and you have to take it out and eat it immediately. Basil says you can take out the bad from the good in whichever way is faster, even if you're not about to eat it. Tanya, we learned in a bicycle. When do we say this is true? When there's more food than there is psalas. But if there's more junk than there is real the, the food part that you're going to eat, then even Basil would agree that you should take the the food away from the junk, because like I said, Basil's idea is do whatever is going to get the job done faster on them. Oh, a second. <laughs> yeah. I may have missed something somewhere. Are you, like you seem to indicate that on Shabbos you can separate in a certain way by taking the good from the bad? Yes. That's not, that's not Borah? Yes. So, Borah oh. um, is only forbidden, uh, but I shouldn't say it like that. Borah is, is permitted if, um, on Shabbos. Prayer is permitted on Shabbos as long as you are taking the, the good from the bad with your hand and not with a utensil and for the intention with the intention of eating it right away. Okay, good enough. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's see, where do we get up to? Um, Sorry, Okay, so the more asked like this. The Ahacha over here, the Right? In other words, like this. What the Gemara is asking is like this. You, you have two different choices on shops. You can either take the stone and knock it off with your hand, or you can pick up the whole barrel. Well, which one's gonna involve more effort? It's gonna involve more effort if you have to pick up the whole barrel. Over here too, since if you wanted to take the wine. Then you wouldn't be able to take out the wine at the shakal eleven. You wouldn't be able to take the wine until you take the stone out of the um, until you until you actually take the the stone out of the barrel. Therefore, it's considered like the the junk is greater than the food, and therefore it's better to pick up the food. So so I'm looking at Rashi right now. Rashi is explaining like this that the if you would, even if you wanted to take out the wine from the barrel, you would have to lift the barrel out, right? Presumably the spigot is at the bottom of the barrel. So you'd have to lift the barrel up anyways. So if you wanted the actual food, you would have to lift the barrel up. So if you want to get rid of the junk on top of the food, also you are permitted to lift the barrel up to get rid of the junk that's on top. If it's in between the barrels, you're allowed to lift it. Tanya, if the if the barrel is sitting in the oitzer in storage, or if you have vessels made out of glass sitting underneath it, you lift it onto another place, and you turn it onto its side, and then it will fall off, and then you take what you need from it, and then you put it back in its place. Right? So, so these are also cases of where if you lift, if you just tilted it right where it was, it would end up destroying the item lying underneath it. So therefore you're allowed to do it in a little bit of a, of a picking up the permitted item and then shaking it off. Once again, these are all talking about cases where it was shekeach, where you left it there accidentally or unintentionally. If you left it there intentionally, you would have redefined the lower item as being a basis, as being a base for something that is forbidden and indeed you would not be permitted to do it. 
money on top of the hill. It's only true where you forgot it there. But if you left it there on purpose, intentionally, it becomes a base for something that is forbidden, and you wouldn't be allowed to move the pillow on Shabbos. That's only true when you needed the the um, the the money for its for its own sake. But if you needed the space where the money was on, you're allowed to to lift the, the cushion, even the the pillow, even while the the coins are on it, the money's on it. And so to said to ask um, I'm sorry, said over from Midifti. Um, it's only true when you need it for its uh, for its own sake. But if you needed the space where the pillow was located, and you're allowed to pick up the pillow even if the money is still on it. It says that if you have money on the pillow, you're allowed to lift up the pillow and shake it. I'm sorry, you're allowed to um, shake the pillow. Let's say you forgot your, your wallet in the uh, in the courtyard. You're allowed to put a loaf of bread on it or a child on it. And then you're allowed to, um, to, to basically handle it. So what does this mean? It's an interesting case. So it, you, you basically are going to be lifting up the child or the loaf of bread by holding on to the forbidden item. Let's say you forgot a brick in, in the chatzar, in the courtyard. You're allowed to put a child or a, um, a loaf of bread on it, and then you can handle it. They forgot a daskia, uh, some sort of a container full of money in the stratia, in the... the um, like the the thoroughfare. And they came and asked to them, you could put on a kikaratinic and then you could actually carry it, right? Now, how are you allowed to carry it, right? If I, it's in the strati, but you're not allowed to carry. So presumably what we mean is not to carry it uh, more than um, a four amis, right? Since you're not carrying a four amis at a time, you're actually permitted to carry it on Shabbos, on, on, on rabbinic level at least. I'm sorry, on a Torah level. Halacha is based. Uh, all of these halachas are true, but only b'shikeach. We forgot it. Rashi says even if you forgot it, you're still not allowed to pick it up. When did they say you're allowed to use a kikar or a tenek, a, a loaf of bread or a child to permit carrying something? It's only true when it's a dead body. Buy a manach kafa akipi. Buy a put a kafa a spoon akipi. On um, on uh, bundles of, of, of wheat, Rava manach sakina abar and Rava put a knife on top of a uh, a, a baby or a young um, dove, um, a young dove that had been slaughtered, mutazal, and then he was and he held your lot to, to, to carry it. Amar Rav Yosef, kama harifa shmaitzah the dariki. Rav Yosef says, wow, these these kids are so smart. Amar the Amar Rabban or Mishkeach lachatila miyamar. One second. When did the Chacham say that by putting down a kikar or a tinnik, a, a child or a loaf of bread on top of something, you're permitted to carry the bottom item only when you forgot it there? Who said you're allowed to go over, take a forbidden item, put it on, take, I'm sorry, take a permitted item, put it on top of a forbidden item on Shabbos, and then still carry it? Who said you're allowed to do that? I'm Rabbi Abbas, says you love that. If I was not a Chashem person, a person, a distinguished personage, Kafa, I keep you lamely. Then why would I ever need to put the spoon down on top of the on top of the grain? 
right? Anyways, you'd be allowed to, to, to take the, the, these bundles of wheat. Why? Because in those days, you take a bundle of wheat and you'd sit down on it. So a bundle of wheat, he's saying, Be'etzem, a bundle of wheat is not really forbidden to be handled on Shabbos. It's only because he is a distinguished personage, he should take a higher level of, of uh, his behavior should be on a higher level, unimpeachable. And therefore, he felt it was necessary to put a spoon down. But you can't be calling me out that I relied on putting a spoon down, l'chatchila, to allow me to carry it. Really, I didn't need to put a spoon down at all. Really, I would have been allowed to carry it even without the spoon. So it was only, it wasn't really necessary. So that's why putting the spoon down solved the issue. I'm a Rava. I know he laughed at the question. So Rava says, if not for the fact that I was a distinguished personage, Sakina Avariyayna Lamali, where I need to put a Sakina, a knife onto this uh, dead dove, a Chazi I could have anyways moved the dead dove. Why? Because I could have used it to chew, right? We learned earlier that raw meat, people chew raw meat in those days. So therefore, anyways, you could have moved it even without, even without, the, um, even without putting the, the knife down upon it, he still could have moved it. So the fact that he ended up doing that, that's not some sort of, uh, you know, a, a judgment. You can't have any sort of taina on him that he did this because he did what wasn't really necessary anyways. It was just to, for what we would call maris ayin, to make sure that people are not going to learn from their behavior. Time in the Chazidom. So the Gemara says, why is it permitted? Because it was able to be chewed upon. So, but if it was not going to, people don't chew this dove, uh, this young dove um, body, then light, then it would not be permitted to be handled, right? Even though, what could you do with it? In theory, you could end up throwing it to a, to a what's his name? You throw it to a dog. This is it. Rava holds like Rabbi Yehuda. Right? Rava, Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that something that the only usage of is to throw it to a dog does not make it uh, able to be handled on Shabbos. So the fact that Rava says the only reason why it's permitted to be eaten is because I could actually chew on it implies that he holds like Rabbi Yehuda, that if it was something that was only dog food, then you wouldn't be allowed to handle it. But Rava said to his attendant, Tavili bar avza, on Yamtif, right? He said, uh, you know, roast me a nice, uh, nice uh, goose, cook me a goose. And when you do that, take its, its, uh, its innards and throw it to the, um, to the shunra, to the cat. In other words, the fact that he allowed him to handle the innards, even though nobody eats the innards, he allowed him to handle the innards to throw it to a cat. So Rava clearly holds that you are allowed to handle the, the parts on Yamtif for the sake of throwing it to an animal. So why over here does Rava say the only reason why I was permitted to, to eat, I'm not to eat, I'm sorry, the only reason why I was permitted to move the, the dove is really because anyways, I could have chewed on it. You don't have to say that. You can say he's permitted to handle it because anyways, you could have given it to the dog. Over there, what's going to happen is, what's happen is when you when you shach the goose, what's going to happen is the the um, the insides of the goose are going to go very bad very quickly. They're going to stink up the whole joint. So over there, it makes sense that he thought before yamtif. When I shach that goose on yamtif, immediately I'm going to take the insides and throw it to the cat, and therefore it's not mutza at all because it was already set aside before yamtif with the intent that as soon as the shakhtin happens, you're going to take the insides and throw it to the cat.